Hello and welcome to the Houston Vineyard Podcast. We sincerely hope that this message is a blessing to you. Enjoy. He, he's not that intimidating. He's a big teddy bear. He's super sweet. Um, don't, don't let him fool you. Hi, I'm Brandon. Nice to see y'all today on this wonderful, steamy, hot day. Um, yeah, I must be up here speaking in front of people because I've got long pants on in the summer. So here we go. Um, as most of you guys know and ladies know, we've been going through our Summer of Wonder series on Beauty for Ashes. Um, so far, we've kind of looked at Beauty for Ashes within the context of uh, Moses and Rahab and Hagar. And so kind of continuing with the Old Testament theme, today we're going to be looking at uh, Beauty for Ashes within the context of the book of Ezekiel. So super cool. We're going to just take it old school, Old Testament all the way. Um, we'll throw some New Testament in there too, though, so we all feel comfortable. Don't worry. I'm not going to freak everybody out. Um, so just a little bit of context for the book of Ezekiel. So first of all, Ezekiel uh, was written during the Jewish exile. So this is when the Jews were exiled into Babylon. And it was written over a period of 20 or so years just because there's a lot of dates within the book of Ezekiel. So it's very helpful for letting us know what was going on um, with the uh, rest of the world at the time. Uh, Ezekiel was a priest or training to be a priest when he was exiled into Babylon. And he was actually with this first round of deportees that went there in 597 BC for anyone keeping track. Um, so about, you know, more than 600 years before Jesus. So it was a while, right? Um, he was with this first round of deportees that was taken into Babylon, an exile. Um, other people were left in Jerusalem. It was eventually uh, sacked and destroyed, and the temple was actually destroyed about 11 years later. Um, does this sound okay? Okay. Um, so Ezekiel, just to give you a, a big picture, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel is typically thought to be broken up into three sections. Um, the first sections of chapters 1 through 24 uh, typically deal with messages of judgment um, against the nation of Israel or Judah itself. Uh, this judgment is because of sin of the nation. Typically, it's uh, primarily, rather, it's idolatry and violence. Um, that's the thing that keeps coming up that they've done wrong uh, before the Lord, uh, idolatry and violence. So the first 24 chapters, if you want to go check it out, is really just the Lord reaming out his own people. So um, 25 through 32, the second chunk, is basically the Lord doing the same thing with the surrounding nations that have kind of oppressed uh, Israel or have kind of helped them pervert their own worship. So you get a lot of prophecies against uh, the surrounding neighbors of primarily Babylon and Egypt and Assyria, but you get some other ones thrown in there as well. Uh, in the last chunk, here we go, 33 through 48, that's where we finally get the messages of hope, restoration for Israel. We're going to bring you back to the land. We're, you're going to be um, restored. So, you know, if you kind of think about it big picture, you can look at it like um, judgment, judgment, hope. Or you could look at it as um, ashes, ashes, beauty if you're just looking from a big picture. And that's, that's primarily true. However, um, a lot of scholars have kind of said, well, it, it's, it's, it's true that those chunks of text are primarily about either judgment or hope. However, throughout the text that's primarily about judgment, we still have um, sprinkles of hope in there throughout. And similarly, throughout the texts that are primarily about hope, we have sprinkling of judgment in there too. So it's, it's never 
um, 100% beauty or ashes. Uh, there's typically a blending of the two. And so today I kind of want to look at Ezekiel as um, beauty in the midst of ashes, right? So I think that'll be uh, helpful. So if we go back to our friend Ezekiel, so he's been exiled in, in Babylon, right? Five years after he's been there, he's this, this priest in training. Well, until he was exiled, obviously. Uh, five years after he's been there, he gets this um, uh, vision. He gets his, his first vision, his inaugural vision, um, calling to be a prophet from God, which is recording in chapter one. So right off the beginning, it gets pretty interesting. And, you know, I was going to read uh, chapter one, but then I decided it's, it's kind of long. And uh, I, I think I'll let everyone go read it if they want to when, when they get home. Needless to say, um, the, the, the text is, is, is pretty... Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It, it sounds almost like something from a sci-fi movie. Um, you get uh, living creatures with four faces. You get a face of a man, an ox, an eagle, and a lion. Um, you get lightning flashes. You get uh, fiery uh, flashings. Um, you get wheels within wheels underneath them. Um, it, it gets very, very interesting. Um, and, and what, what we uh, see when, when Ezekiel then looks up from this, this lightning's flashing and these wheels within wheels and these, these four living creatures that are kind of moving up and down, backward and forward, is he sees what looks like a, a, a being. Um, and he, he, know, he recognizes that it's an appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And uh, Ezekiel is, is taken aback. Um, and, and, and he's wondering, what in the world is the Lord doing here? In, uh, in this place where he's been taken. Because um, this is not, you know, obviously where Ezekiel wants to be. Uh, Ezekiel was training for, you know, probably his entire life to be admitted into the priesthood, right? To be a working priest. And, and when he actually gets these visions, it's actually in his 30th year. So this is the year he would have been officially admitted into the working priesthood. Um, but obviously, he, he, he can't really do that. He's in Babylon. He's far from home. He's far from Jerusalem. He's far from the temple. So his, uh, his position has pretty much been terminated. He's no longer um, relevant. He has, he has no job. Uh, and, and so this, this really sounds a lot like ashes to me. And, you know, going into exile is, is pretty, pretty indicative of being in ashes. Um, Ezekiel's story reminded me of a, a story I was talking to a coworker recently at, at my uh, office who, who started um, with us not that long ago. And I was kind of talking to him, getting his story, and he let me know that he, he used to work in the petrochem uh, industry. He used to be something, it sounded like more of like a field technician, field engineer. And uh, because of the volatility in the market and, and COVID and things like that, his position was, was terminated and he was no longer needed. And so, and it happened to a bunch of uh, other people that were in his similar um, kind of p position. And anyway, anyways, he kind of waited for a little while for that position to come back, um, but, but it didn't. So he ended up having to kind of reinvent himself. And uh, he's now part of the data services IT uh, department in our company and um, kind of had to start from scratch and learn that. And he's doing well now, but I, I kind of feel Ezekiel kind of found himself in a similar place. His position had been terminated and made non-existent. Here he is in a strange land, um, a pagan land, right? And he probably felt, you know, totally forgotten by God, right? He probably felt outside of, of God's uh, view. Um, but after five years, which is a long time, right? Five years is a pretty long time. He gets this crazy mystical vision of, of God and, and, and these 
cherubim is what they're called elsewhere in the text, but living beings is what it's called in, in the chapter one. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe he's not forgotten, right? Ezekiel's probably thinking to himself, wait a minute, maybe God hasn't forgotten me. But he has the question, um, what, what is the Lord doing here? Um, this symbology, a lot of people think, well, this is, you know, I was talking to Carlos earlier, a lot of people think this is a, maybe alien's vision here, and other people are like, man, maybe Ezekiel was hallucinating. But within the context of the ancient Near East, which is this part of the world that Ezekiel was from, and Israel, Mesopotamia, um, Egypt, Babylon, um, Ezekiel knew right away what this was. This was a vision of a divine chariot, right? A movable throne for, for God. Um, he sees God on this throne, this vision of the likeness of the glory of God on this throne. But he's asking himself probably, what is the Lord doing here? Why are you here? Um, the reason why is because the prevailing thought uh, in this time period was that deities or, or gods were, were regional and they were typically localized to a land and, and to a temple. So they pretty much stayed in their place, right? They stayed in their land. Uh, they stayed in their, their temple. They didn't go outside. Um, of, of their own uh, realm. So Ezekiel's probably thinking to himself, I'm really glad to see you, but what are you doing here? Uh, we, we were watching a show recently. Um, the protagonist was a, a girl, and she was having this, this battle, and all these terrible things were going on, and uh, she kind of ends up defeating the enemy, but she's, she's wrecked. She's kind of on the ground. Um, we're not sure if she's going to get back up again, and, and she looks up, and she sees her friends there, and, and in her mind, you know, she's thinking, wait a minute, how did y'all know to find me here? Why, how, why, how, why did you come here? How did you even know where I was? Um, you know, shouldn't you be somewhere else or back in Hawkins or something? Um, so, so then, you know, I, I feel like Ezekiel's probably thinking a similar thing. He's like so glad to see the Lord, but he's like, what are you doing here? Why, why are you here? Um, so the, the, we can find, kind of find that out, actually, if we just skip ahead a little bit in the text and go to Ezekiel 10. In Ezekiel 10, we have, a, we have a similar vision where the Lord shows up. He's on this divine chariot. Um, and, and by the way, I, I'm not a car guy at all. I know nothing about cars. We were driving this weekend. Um, my wife pointed out some car in front of us and said, oh, that's the other, you know, and she named what it was. I had no idea. Um, and said, that's the other car I wanted like when I was, you know, in high school or something. And, and she might as well have been speaking Greek to me. I didn't understand it at all. Um, I can change a tire if it's flat maybe. Um, I can change your oil, but that's about it. I know nothing about cars. But this vision of the Lord on this divine chariot, um, it kind of, I can kind of picture him on like this just awesome tricked out ride with these flashing wheels and lightning going and all these cool lights like the undercarriage of the car. I mean, anyhow, um, it's the image I get. I'm not sure what y'all would get if you read it. But um, so we, we see this vision of the Lord again, and Ezekiel's kind of getting a little clue into what's going on here. So we see this vision of the Lord. He's in this movable uh, throne. There's this chariot. And what happens is Ezekiel sees this very symbolic action of the Lord leaving the temple. He leaves Jerusalem. Now, this is a big deal. To us, we're like, yeah, sure. God gets in his car and goes for a drive. That's not a big deal. He can do that. He's God. However, um, typically, uh, in the ancient Near East, again, this part of the world, uh, the understanding was, and even the understanding in Israel, was that, you know, um, God wouldn't leave the temple. A God, any God that, you know, even the surrounding nations had the similar belief that your God wouldn't leave 
his temple or his people unless he was thoroughly displeased with them, right? It was a couple reasons. He was really displeased with them uh, for sin. Um, They hadn't offered the proper sacrifices. They had done something wrong, and he was just done with them. And he was going to leave, and he was heading out. Now, when he left, he was gone, and this was known as divine abandonment. And if God leaves, then the people are now susceptible to being conquered by a foreign power or a foreign God can come in and destroy them, right? But when God left, he was gone. Um, What we see here, however, is that God may have left the temple, but he didn't leave his people, right? Because he shows up in Babylon. And this is, this is, this is crazy. Um, this is not what you would expect. This is not what any of them would have expected. If they were, uh, you know, given over to the Babylonians because of their sin, maybe God just goes and doesn't come back. And he's like, well, that was a nice experiment, uh, this whole thing with Israel, but we're, we're, we're done with that now. However, that's not what we see at all. And in Ezekiel 11, we, we read, um, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, The people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles and all the other Israelites, they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. Therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries they have gone. Um, So just a little background, uh, throughout various places in Ezekiel, we find out that there's actually a tension. Remember I said that Ezekiel was with this first group of exiles that was taken to Babylon before um, Jerusalem was actually destroyed and the temple destroyed and everybody else was exiled. But there was an 11-year period there where some of the people were exiled and some of the people weren't. Um, And there actually got to be a tension there where the people that were left kind of thought, well, we must be the blessed people. We're the good ones, right? The other guys got kicked out. They must be the ones the Lord is, is angry with. Um, so, you know, uh, they're forsaken and, and we're not. And they actually thought, hey, you know, they left their land here and their goods. We can just take those, I guess, because um, these guys don't need it. They're, they're out of here. Um, and so the people in exile might have felt the same way, right? They might have felt forsaken. They probably did. They probably felt, well, wait a minute. The other people got left behind, um, we, we, we didn't, we, we got taken, so maybe, maybe we are uh, the ones that, that have the problem and everybody else is okay. Uh, obviously, reading the text now, we know that the entire uh, nation was destroyed um, and the temple destroyed and everybody was exiled, so that was just a temporary thing. But what Ezekiel says and what we see here is that that is uh, not true. The Lord says, absolutely not. Um, I have not forsaken these people in exile. Uh, Ezekiel scholar Daniel Block, who I got turned on to through an Ezekiel class that I took, which was really great, and I'm glad nobody else that took it is here, so you can't tell if I'm saying everything that's totally wrong. Um, But uh, Ezekiel scholar Daniel Block says, Yahweh's sudden appearance to Ezekiel among the deportees shatters the widespread myth that the influence of patron deities was localized in the territory over which they were understood to have jurisdiction and that a person's access to the divinity depended on one's physical presence in the God's land. Basically, you only have access to God if you're in the land. If you're in the holy land, that's when you have access to God. And this is pretty much just shattering that understanding. God's not constrained to a land, right? He's devoted to his people, and he follows his people. So this was a major revelation and an innovation that we see in the text of Ezekiel that you may not notice if you kind of haven't spent some time with it and kind of look at and see what's going on here. God is not constrained to the temple or to the land, but can and will go with his people. 
Um, and, and you know, if we look back, this isn't something new. This is what God's always been about. If we go and look um, in, in Exodus, right, with the Exodus event, when the people are leaving Egypt, God's going with them with this uh, pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, right? And, and then before they go into the, the, the promised land itself, uh, Moses is, he has a little conversation with God, and I'm paraphrasing here. But he's like, God, you know, I, just FYI, I'm not doing it if you're not going with us. We're not going to go. We're, we're not going to go into this new land with these scary people um, and, and all this, you know, this whole thing. We, we just can't do it unless you go with us. And God actually doesn't berate him for saying that, doesn't argue with him. He says, awesome. That's great. I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm actually really happy that, that you asked because I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to go with you. So we see in Ezekiel, we see God not just going with his people as they're triumphantly marching into the promised land, though. We see him going with his people that are going into the ashes of exile, right? So this is a major um, thing that Ezekiel kind of shows us is that God, you know, he packs his bags, he gets in this big hoopty ride of his, and he actually goes into exile with the people, right? He goes into Babylon. This is, this is a big deal. Um, you know, as Christians, we all know that the ultimate expression of God being with us is the incarnation of, of Jesus, right? Um, we know that God desires to be with us. He comes with us, and in the incarnation in which Jesus, um, he, he, he was born, he lived, he served, he suffered, he died uh, with us and for us, and then he rose again so that we can be with him. Um, and so what Ezekiel kind of uh, teaches us and what the incarnation shows us is that even in the midst of our ashes, um, this beautiful God is always willing and wanting to be present with us. Um, and so we have beauty no matter what, no matter what, uh, you know, transition in life we're, or where we're going or what we're doing, God desires to be with us. And, and you know, as, as Christians, we, we have an understanding of the this already and not yet of the kingdom of God, particularly here in the vineyard, we, we talk about that. Um, and that, you know, between the birth, uh, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of, of Christ and his second coming, right? We have this in-between time that we live in and that's where we all find ourselves at in the church. And, you know, because of the powers unleashed um, by God and by Jesus, there's great beauty that, that can happen here, right? Um, prayer can be answered, um, lives can be healed, uh, you know, wonderful things can happen. But because we're not at the end, we're not at Jesus' second coming and the kingdom come in its fullness, right? Uh, there's still pain, death, um, misery, heartache, all the things that, that we all go through, right? So, but what we do know is that within the midst of these ashes that we can sometimes find, God has promised to be present with us. And we see that, again, most uh, firmly through the incarnation. But what Ezekiel shows us is, hey, God's been doing this for a long time now. He's been willing to and able to not just sit, you know, in the Holy Land, in the temple, in the promised land with his people when they're doing well, but even when they've kind of done bad and he's kind of allowing the other nations to kind of, you know, um, kind of take them over for a while so they can re repent and get back to where they needed to be, he's willing to go with them in the midst of that. Um, and that's what we find in our own lives right now. So God's willing and wanting to be with us even in the midst of our ashes. This beautiful God that wants to have beauty in the midst of our ashes. So... Um, I guess we'll get the worship team up now.
that's okay. And I'll, uh, so, you know, just a quick, you know, share my story real quick, just a little bit of transition and movement. When I was thinking about this text, um, I moved to Houston about 22 years ago or so from, from Austin. And I, I grew up in Austin and I, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't grow up as, as a Christian, but I, when I was very young, I actually had some Christian influences with my grandmother and stuff like that, which I held on to and really um, shaped me later in life. But throughout my younger adult years and teenage years, uh, I was not at all. And actually, I have a really powerful story of coming to God and, and Christ reaching out to me in the midst of that and um, just bringing me into his, uh, you know, in, in, into faith and, and into life with, with Jesus. Um, but I didn't know another Christian, and that was kind of just, you know, it was just me and Jesus, and I had this great, powerful experience with him. And, um, but after a while, I felt like God was calling me to move to, to Houston. And, you know, I, I was, I was kind of hesitant. I was like, wait a minute, God. Now, you know, Austin's not perfect, and, and it's not. You know, there's a lot of problems I had there and a lot of things going on. But that's where I got to know God. That's where I first encountered God. That's where I met Jesus, right? And so I was like, you know, are you sure? Are you going to come with me if I go to Houston? Because that sounds kind of scary, and I'm not sure. I don't know anybody there either. Um, and, and he said yes, and so, so I did. Um, now, when I first came here, obviously, you know, it wasn't all good. I, you know, I still didn't know anybody for probably a year or more, and it took time until I, I you know, made some friends and had community and a church even, right? Um, and, and that's totally normal. We see that in Ezekiel, right? He didn't just walk into Babylon because he went in faith that God was going to be with him. And the second he got there, looked up, and God was like, thank you. You crossed the threshold of uh, the, uh, you know, the, the state line here, and, and, and here you are, so here's your blessing. I mean, he had to wait five years. Uh, and he was just, I, I'm not sure what he was doing in Babylon. We just meet him along, that says, the, the, the river with the other uh, deportees when he gets this first uh, initial vision. I'm not sure what he was doing there. Um, he might have just been hanging out thinking of home. He might have been um, lamenting uh, his loss. I, I don't know why, but for some reason, you know, maybe it's because of our recent uh, uh, going through the book of Ruth. I picture him uh, gleaning uh, the tares and the wheat there along the, the riverside, but I'm just making that up. I have no idea what he was doing. Um, but at any rate, it took him a while until he had anything kind of good happen, right? It took him a while until he, he saw this, this vision and, and kind of got called to be a prophet and changed his whole life, right? Um, but, you know, I was thinking we have other examples as well where um, we may not be moving to a new town. We may just have other transitions in our lives. We may have a new job. Uh, we may have a, a new transition of, of having kids, or maybe a transition of realizing we're not going to have kids. Um, maybe some medical changes. Uh, maybe, um, I mean, it, it could be anything. And so I think, you know, when I was kind of going through this, I, I, I felt like God really wants us to know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what transition we're going to, no matter where we're kind of, you know, moving to in our lives, um, he wants to be with us. And even if it's a place that we're like, man, I, I, this is scary. I'm not sure about this. He still wants to be with us. He wants to be present with us. This beautiful God wants to give us hope in the midst of our ashes. And the song we were singing earlier um, today, uh, you know, your rod and your staff, you comfort me, lead on. And I was just getting this image that God's not a God. Our God is not a God that just leads you by saying, go over there and, and do that or 
go to this place. He's like, let's go. I'll go with you. And he actually walks in front of us, right? You get the shepherd image that God's going out in front of us and, and leading us into the next phase, the next place, um, uh, wherever it may be. And so I would just, yeah, I was thinking, and I would just like to challenge everyone here just to try to, you know, in the next uh, rest of the day or the, the week, just try to think about anywhere in your life that you feel like you're transitioning to. Again, it, it could be anything. Um, it could be something you recently transitioned to, a new position at work, a new job, a new phase of life, some new medical um, news you, you have. It, it can be anything. And just try to pray that, that, that God um, will reveal to you and remind you that he is present with you and he wants to be present with you. And if I have time, I think I'll do a quick prayer just before we transition. Um, Lord, thank you so much, God. We love you. We know that, that you are with us, God. Um, it's, and, it, and it's easy to know that you're with us when we're here on Sunday mornings and we have just this amazing worship team uh, helping us to sing your praise, Lord. Um, but God, we, we want to be reminded that, you know, even when things don't feel beautiful um, in the ashes of life, Lord, that you are indeed present with us, Lord. We want to know and be reminded, God, that you care for us and you lead us by going first, Lord. You don't lead from behind. You don't kick us out there and tell us to go and, and good luck. Um, you actually get your bags. You get in your divine, awesome vehicle, and, and you go before us. You're, you're clearing a way for us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us remember that. Um, anything we're going through in life, God, any changes, any transitions, even just the daily transition of, of time passing, Lord, um, that you would remind us that you're with us. We are not forgotten. Even when we feel like we're in a strange land, even when we feel like we're far from where we should be, um, that you are with us, you care for us, you love us, and we thank you for that, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand. We're going to respond in worship and, and we're going to sing that song again that he is the good shepherd and we are going to invite him to lead on in those places where we're just wondering, are you here? And he says, yes, I am there. Where you are, I am there. So we're going to invite him to continue to lead on. Lord, you are our shepherd. We will lack for no good for you take us to the pastures that are green you lead beside still waters bring refreshing to our souls as you guide us in the paths and make us free lead Oh, 
comfort in the presence of our foes. You anoint our heads with oil, goodness and mercy on us down as we dwell in your house forevermore. If you're here today and you feel like a foreigner in your own life, you're not alone. If you feel lost, you're not alone. If you feel like Jesus needs something from you before he'll meet you, you're wrong. He wants to meet you exactly where you are. Brandon, what I love about your story is that Jesus met you alone. Not only met you alone, but gave you identity and belonging that you couldn't have any other way and has led you to a life that is rich, not because your circumstances suddenly got better, but because you are confident in whose you are. And that's the story of Jesus for all of us. To give us a place of belonging and identity when nothing makes sense. To give us the peace to walk through life and not be dependent on the circumstances around us. That's what gives us joy. So if you're here today and, and you feel like just somewhere other than where you need to be and you've never said yes to the Jesus that is pursuing you and is present with you, today's that day. And we do that really simply saying, Jesus, I surrender to the 
active pursuit you've had on my life for from forever ago. I say yes to life with you. Life to the identity and belonging that comes in relationship with you and to the joy that comes in knowing who I am and whose I am. We're going to have people on either side here to pray with you or if you see anybody with a lanyard, they'd love to pray with you too, wherever you're at. If that prayer is something you're praying today or if you just need to reconnect with the Jesus that pursues you, we'd love to pray with you today. If you want to pray about anything, we'd love to pray with you as well. But there are a couple specific things as we were praying this morning we felt like God wanted to do in the room. And so first of all, there's just a sense that he wants to have breakthrough, which lines up really well with what we've been talking about. To, to sort of remove the fog in our eyes, to help us see where he's working, that we would experience the mercy of God, that the veil would be removed, that there's this breakthrough in our lives. And then as far as healing specifically, that there are some of you that are just really struggling emotionally right now. And when I say that, I... That sort of hits everybody. Um, but if that like really hits you in a specific way today, we really want to pray with you. Also, there's somebody that's been dealing with some issues in their knees and somebody else with other joint issues. We think that if we know that God wants to touch you today and bring healing to your body. And then finally, somebody who's dealing with hearing loss in their left ear. We want to pray with you. What I am most in love with about Jesus is that throughout the history of the world and the history of us, he's present. The gift for Ezekiel to see that the presence of God isn't just where everything is okay. It's not just where my community is. It's not just where the temple is. The presence of God will show up where I am in a giant art car. That's what you were saying now that I just saw art cars, like those art cars with the, anyways, it doesn't matter. That Jesus will show up. And not because he has to, but because he wants to. In my office, there's a bunch of whiteboards and it's overwhelming. But there's one phrase that's written there that has been sort of a, a thing that I'm reminding myself of for about the last year and it's this that the presence of God that we so desire is not the confirmation of the rightness of us it's the confirmation of his goodness the presence of God goes and meets us where we are in beauty and in ashes in good and in bad in health and in sickness the presence of God shows up in the presence of us that gather to worship and in the middle of nowhere, he shows up. Because he's good. The goodness of God shows up in his presence. So this week, my prayer is that you experience the presence of God. He's there, but that you would have the ability to recognize it, to feel it, to acknowledge it, and to celebrate his presence wherever you find yourself this week.
And as you do that, this is our prayer. May the living God, que el Dios vivo, creator of all the heavens and the earth, creador del cielo y de la tierra, may he richly bless you and keep you. Que él te bendiga y te guarde. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Que él haga su rostro resplandecer sobre ti y te dé su gracia. May he smile on you and fill you with his peace. Que Dios mismo te sonría y te dé su paz. You have been and continue to be extravagantly loved by our Father. Has sido siempre y sigue siendo hoy extravagantemente amado por tu Padre Celestial. Go, do the same. Ve y haz lo mismo. Have a great week of worship. There's prayer on either side and we'll see you next week.